peace, namaste, and shalom. Everybody out there in dreamland, I am the beyond top secret Texan. Join me on my podcast, the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast, where I explore the outer limits of human abilities, top secret military technologies, the reality of extraterrestrial Earth alliances, secret space wars, advanced cryptozoology, subjects of theosophic truth, esotericism, and the occult. Beyond the Top Secret Texan Podcast. Greetings out there in dreamland. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. Thank you for tuning into the Beyond Top Secret Texan, I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan, broadcasting to you from the third coast to coast with the most Gulf Coast of Texas, and it is my pride and privilege to be doing so. Thank you all very much, listeners new and old. Feel free to check out the archives, feel free to check out Linktree slash Beyond Top Secret Texan. Thank you all very much. Sorry if this sounds rushed, it's because I am preparing live to record on the Dark Outpost. I'm going to be recording my side of things on the Dark Outpost. They are going to be recording and presenting their live on their Rumble channel. David and Penny, the host, Penny Shepard, yes, the uh, former guest of the Beyond Top Secret Texan podcast, and uh, her now co-host, David Zublik running The Dark Outpost live streamed every day Dark Outpost features four guests and typically runs for four hours it's a great program a huge chunk of content and information as well as a a excellent selection of guests and speakers in this genre of truth in fact all genres of truth it's an incredible program The Dark Outpost now that was said let's get into it next time you'll hear my voice I'll be interviewing with The Dark Outpost and beyond top secret and from a hidden location known only to Funk and Wagnall Tax Welcome Program Greetings, how's it going? We're good, how are you? I'm, I'm excellent, thank you very much for inviting me onto your program Thank you very much well, We're absolutely absolutely delighted to have you on the program uh, for those of you for those of us who don't know a lot about you my viewers, give us a little bit of well, I know that you have to keep your true identity secret but oh absolutely not but moving forward uh as a content creator and as a journalist there's no reason why i wouldn't assume a more um 
searchable and unique name and not a government name, especially as in-depth as the research as I'm getting into, say, for Silver and Citizenship and Strawman, etc. Rappers do it, for example. Artists do it. Share is not birth-named share only. That is a... Right. But it's respected. And, for example, talk show hosts and the news media will say that's her chosen name. Sting, for example, or Bono. You know, these are the kind of uh, formalities given to creators and given to people a persona. So once given to uh, being on camera, being on live stream, being a podcast creator myself, it's rightful to step into that as tradition and the artistic community in the Western world would uphold. So, no, my name is completely searchable. It's Michael Anthony Villegas. I'm not hiding my face. It's for the glare and the fact that I have uh, very sensitive eyes. So, uh, and that's because of exposure to certain things within the military. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. I I do agree it is a good name I created for myself. So, yeah, Beyond Top Secret Texan, that's how you can search me. Linktree slash Beyond Top Secret Texan can deliver all those uh, directory to my links, social media, etc. So, let me get into my introduction, and it'll make things a lot easier. Run the horse before the cart, right? So, uh, yeah, greetings, everybody. Beyond Top Secret Texan. Uh, broadcast from the third coast, the Gulf Coast, the coast with the most, the Gulf Coast of Texas, and broadcasting uh, dark web videos on my social medias daily, podcasts regularly, uh, about very real and intense subjects on the more extreme side of ufology, the more advanced side of conspiracy or truth, uh, however you would like to define that genre that we're all in, right? That kind of thing that we're all in the midst of. Disclosure, bringing forward uh, counterculture information, bringing forward uh, alternative viewpoints, but it's our experiences. Some would say the experiences that are covered up and suppressed by these very government institutions that we are calling out on their activities, right? So this would be this whole thing, what do we call it? But Whatever it is, I would be on the more extreme side of it. I would be on the darker side of it, and it's definitely more an advanced level course. Uh, I have been consistently producing this content since 2020. I have over 300 episodes on the podcast format, all averaging about an hour and a half to two hours long, uh, covering the SSP Secret Space Program, the Super Soldier Program, also the SSP, and then going into different things like uh, just basically to say it, the occult. Uh, true crime, uh, its connection to conspiracy, military intelligence, espionage, uh, you know, public testimony when it comes to uh, public informant work, when it comes to war, our military-industrial complex uh, operations within this country and others, global uh, conspiracies within secret societies to basically control the world. And as well as the exopolitics involving extraterrestrials, ultraterrestrials, and breakaway civilizations, you know, otherwise unknown and kept top secret to the common man or to the layman, as it were. So that's my effort when it comes to what I'm doing. Now, how I do that is by keeping a very extensive social media presence. I post as many dark web videos of evidence as I can away from the every day, the ones that are mainstream. I try to post as many videos as I can, so I have thousands and thousands of them over this time on Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok, for example. 
even though I've been demonetized and I've been completely locked out of several of those accounts, they are still existing. Like my first TikTok account has accrued almost a billion views. Accrued almost a billion views globally. It's at 967 million. Wow. And it just keep it's going up, but I cannot but access can, that account. You, you can't access it, but people can still watch it. Yeah, and it's a shadow band, but it's that's what I'm saying. So the efforts I'm making, regardless of if it's any kind of personal profit of my own, are snowballing and exponentially growing, and that's my entire strategy. I am just pushing the rocks down the cliff, and they'll build up momentum and try to awaken up as many people, even if they only see it once. It'll be something that kind of shakes them awake a little bit, maybe directs their life course, that timeline, to where they wake up eventually later down the road, and hopefully that would be some kind of responsibility of mine. But I only do this through personal experience. I only do this because of my own close encounters. I only do this because of my own uh, real uh, connection to this incredibly uh, serious subject. It's absolutely life and death serious. Uh, people have died researching it. People have been silenced researching it. There have been sacrifices made uh, within the SSP program that I would always like to begin by all conversations with about it by stating that's how serious I hold it. Just like when speaking about advocacy of a, a war such as the Vietnam War, such as the Gulf War, such as the Global War on Terror, uh, Yemen campaign, for example, that has to be treated as a serious uh, subject where real human beings were sacrificed and paid the ultimate price, not just as a ideological, political, hypothetical uh, type of situation, which is how I approach these alien abductions, how I approach exopolitical realities. Uh, say, for example, people talk about the deep underground military bases, but I actually want to convey that human seriousness of war journalism when talking about the victims, when talking about the lives that were sacrificed in creating this, and talking about the seriousness of this operation that's going on, you know, beyond constitutional oversight, beyond public awareness. This isn't just a, uh, oh, well, the Freemasons control the world. This is, this, this is the Freemasons control the world, and they are responsible for the cultivation of all evil in society, and that is an extremely serious you know, charge to make, and I hope that that conveys that seriousness, you know, as I, I'm fully aware of that, and I'm fully stepping into that. So this is kind of where I'm at right now. And that's an introduction for the Beyond Top Secret Texan. And now, you, yeah. Uh, going back in time, what was your, uh, quote-unquote, road to Damascus moment? How did you become aware of the secret space program, of the extraterrestrial existence. What got you interested in this? What happened to you personally which propelled you onto this mission? At the age of nine, I was a victim of a MyLab in which I was taken by Solar Warden for a 20-year-and-back program. Now, this was obviously ran its course, returned to my point in life at nine, and was raised again under the Freemasonic occult U.S. Navy uh, Truman Show type reality, right? This absolutely on its own rails a grooming program to become a Navy officer, uh, much like I was in Solar Warden. And then there was a point where I literally had a great awakening, and that was at the age of 29, 20 years after that, where all my memories were returned to me in the form of night terrors and the form of basically PTSD Vietnam level flashbacks 
but about the SSP, the Solar Warden. Now, having a, you know, awareness and a, a, a real life in the, the world about, you know, media, science fiction, this whole, you know, menagerie of real world affiliations with understanding this, but only in the context of it's not real. I thought I was having a mental breakdown, going schizophrenic, etc. But after having researched it, you find out through people like Roger Kramer, the, uh, you know, William Thompson, or William Tompkins, sorry, William Tompkins, and his uh, disclosure of his responsibility of creating the Solar Warden program as a uh, ship engineer, the, the hacking of, say, for example, of Gary McKinnon into NASA uh, with its Solar Warden program disclosure, and how much that was a real thing, I started to realize this was not, this was not a fantasy, this was not delusion, this was not insanity, this was a window into reality, a reality that all the powers to be have tried to suppress and erase, and everyone who's been involved with it, and only estimated a 5% of anyone who is involved in it has ever retained or returned with any memories of it. Now, this would, of course, lead me down the rabbit hole of research, but that was, you know, once that began, it was, it was, you know, I was fully aware and fully aware, and it was just every researcher, every speaker from the, uh, you know, the, the contact in the desert speakers, uh, you know, then you have, like, the, the you know, Max Spears, uh, James Casbolt, and Bases in the UK, and you see it's a global phenomenon, you know, that's when I started seeing that this is not only affecting, you know, Americans, this is affecting people from every Western and civilized nation. And as I would learn, it's a global phenomenon affecting every single society as they are all offering their members and their civilians and their uh, military to these literally like uh, uh, United Earth Alliance military efforts. And they operate in the subterranean realms that are kept top secret, but are completely known about and slowly being disclosed to the public. They operate in the uh, exotic lands of, say, Antarctica, or the f f secret continents or the foreign frontiers that are still being explored, still being colonized, and off-world, where there are many bases off-world. Bases on the moon, bases on the Mars, which were created with Russian and American cooperation for all things on the Earth, including... Uh, Major political struggles are but theater to hide the ultimate secret. That it's literally this global cabal, and while they may compete over powers, it's overseen by extraterrestrials and other ultra-terrestrials, extra-dimensional entities, quantum entities, etc., and that we are not the highest on the food chain as a species, but one part of an eco-web that has to be kept in balance, and it's kept in balance... Uh, by powers in, that are way beyond our understanding. And it's, it's, it's quantifiable by how advanced in, are they or by a matter of years. Billions. Billions of years in advance because they are Kardashev uh, cycle or Kardashev scale civilizations that number into four, five, and beyond. And well, you and I are in complete agreement on this. I, everything you've said, you're spot on. Um, so I'm, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you discovered it. I'd like to... When did you first, how did you find out that you had been, you know, in, in some sort of a MyLab experiment at nine? And how did that, did you find out how that happened? Did your parents put you into this? Were you abducted? Did something happen to you at school? How did how'd that happen? Well, 
the my lab experience happened in my bedroom. It was uh, very. I mean, obviously, to say it's it's not anything that I would associate looking back with my family. It, I wasn't in a military family. I wasn't in, besides my father being a Freemason, but everyone in this society is, especially in this location. And it's just the, the dominant lodge. It's the dominant uh, occult secret society that all societies have as a proportion of their existence. It's a secret police, secret society, secret church. Sorry, the uh, old glasses are falling off. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, it's nothing I would attribute to them. They didn't, say, make a deal. Like, in some cases that are absolutely terrible, the parents will sell the children out, especially within military families, where the parents know full well, yes, my child will be sent to this 20-year-and-back program, but because of their own uh, faith in the system, they, they think they know that's a good thing. Send my kid to West Point, send my kid to Solar Warden. Yes, thank you, please take him. You know, please, like, it's an honor. And in many ways it is. Uh, then that perspective, it is, it's absolutely, because, you know, the world is all subjective, but in this case, I think it was because my grades were really good, and honestly, I don't think it's anything based on, uh, based on that level of shit, I think it's based on, like, nothing physical that I was doing, or nothing physical that was, uh, you know, accomplished, nothing special about me, besides the fact that, astrologically, they select their members by birth, by birth star alignment, and it has nothing to do with who you are, but who you were meant to be, they can mold you into anything, and they know with astro theology, with astro, uh, like literally from the Chaldean, Babylonian, Sumer type things, like when the new Messiah was born was because the star of Bethlehem, you know, that the idea that they look at the stars to see who was born on earth, and it was because of my unique birth chart, and using like the Vedic, uh, Vedic astrology, for example, you can see a lot more about the complex personalities and stuff like that, which even myself I'm very ignorant of, but I'm aware of how important these societies hold astro, uh, astrology. And I believe Solar Warden is exactly the same. It is 100% built on how mankind has always been built by the governance and selection of the elite via astrotheology and astrological principles. What stars you were born under uh, qualifies you. And it's not based on the ego. It's not based on the individual. It's simply they, they are following their orders literally as they see it from the stars, from the heavens above. Um, so it's much the way kings were decided. It's much the way emperors were decided, or prophets and old ones, and like the chosen one. It's not about the person. The person is in some ways not even fit for the task, but it's because of their unique divine birth that they are then forced into this journey, the hero cycle. You know, which I think is absolutely in keeping. It's just now, and like it has always been in some ways, but people have just not been aware of it. Uh, your life is a a grand adventure that can sometimes lead you literally to other realms and to the stars, etc. That is absolutely the case. Or not. And, and you might be just a regular person in the samsara, but it's like the Hindu religions. The gods do walk amongst people. They, you know, the chosen ones do exist. People are all different. Some people might just look, work a you know, stall making food every day, but some people are also incarnations of Shiva or, or you know, uh, Vishnu. 
and they're on a, a cycle part, this millionaire incarnation cycle. That's what I'm saying. I want to get into it like that way. These are all very serious ways of understanding who gets selected to Solar Warden, who you're actually dealing with. The current manifestations of how the Hindu gods walked on earth as princes and kings and military generals and stuff like that. Engaging in wars, engaging in battles, establishing kingdoms, which now we would call space colonies, now we would call these moon bases, now these bases on Mars, these massive fleets. Just like how it's written that uh, Vishnu would meditate and create temples, flying uh, vamanas, which were you know interpreted as the blueprints that they would create. But it was the power of these uh, connections and forces, these avatars. And that's what I think is Solar Warden, how they select people. Not just, oh, you're very smart. Because I also was, uh, and am still, extremely intelligent, but also psychic. And had psychic abilities, which at the time attracted the Astro High Command, specifically the Venusians, for a co-ed program, basically a foreign exchange program, not only between humans and Venusians, but a lot of different members of the extraterrestrials that were involved in the Galactic uh, Federation of Light, or the Astro High Command itself. They were mostly, you know, local and domestic to, uh, native to our solar system from various moons of Jupiter, various moons of Saturn, various uh, places local to Mars and Venus itself, but they were lower on the evolutionary ladder, just like humans. We were all basically the same, with originating psychic abilities with intelligence, and it was kind of a academy between multiple species where our psychic abilities and we were educated on a kind of a universal code not just our species traditions not just our local providential uh, bucolic understanding of right and wrong or morality but on a absolute universal scale which all extraterrestrials in this galactic federation of light follow and it, it's considered like a super faith like it's a faith that transcends the species like a master Ten Commandments or that sort of thing? Like the law of the universe, exactly. Like the thing, It's the absolute federation law of the universe. It doesn't matter exactly who or where you're from, everyone's following this code. As, or if not, then you're in violation of the code, and thus you are in the ire of the... You know, you are going to suffer the wrath and be considered a criminal. And that's exactly what the, the whole problem of our acceptance of this program is, is that humans and all species value naturally their sovereignty. Which is not blame, you know, it's, it's not, you know, to be blamed, but that's absolutely what you could say is a crux or uh, a way of understanding it, is that there is a collective, the super whole, the super alliance, and then there is the sovereign beings who are considered rebels. For the so, example, the Orion Draco didn't want to submit to the Astra High Command's rule and authority, viewing themselves as dominions. Was that right or wrong? I don't know, but it ultimately ended their species, their control on the Earth, as well as almost extincted them from their, you know, native world. So there is a, there's a lot to say there, but that was also not something saying like, yeah, kick their ass, stupid lizards. No, I mean, like, that's, that's sovereign beings being murdered, genocided, and eradicated. Yes, they also did destroy human beings and used as slaves, etc., but at the same time, you know, this is life. This is reality. This is the universe, and it's very much in the system I was living in for 20 years. Solar Warden itself is a knighthood, and I was returned to Solar Warden at the age of 14 to help defend the Earth from an Orion Draco invasion that happened in Antarctica. 
This was in 2001. And from there, worked in Solar Warden throughout until the age of 29, which then I was returned. And, you know, went through a number of positions, number of training, uh, temporary assignments, as well as because it was necessary through the advancement to learn as many different techniques and many different organizational skills, leadership skills, etc. And then basically from off-world, which was only the lunar colony as far as Mars, uh, return to Earth to go through the hollow Earth and the subterranean worlds, helping out there, fighting the Maya and the Aztec. And that was human-on-human combat. Although it was a breakaway civilization of surviving, highly technologically advanced Mayan and Aztecs, who did not want to submit to the rule of the, uh, what you would call the Solar Ward and the Western Man, the man of the, you know, U.S. Navy, U.S. Army template and the European knighthood orders. So very much a, a magnification of the conquistadors destroying the Aztec empires. And that has filled me with an extreme amount of uh, guilt, survivor guilt, and, and PTSD. That one encounter, which lasted for five years, and that was a campaign of bombing aerial bombardments and uh, otherwise, you know, colonizations in South America, specifically around Brazil and Patagonia. I see. What, what do you make of uh, people like Phil Snyder who talked about uh, underground wars, uh, Dulce Base, and that sort of thing? Absolutely, he was right. He was right from his perspective. You know, you got to imagine this is all uh, the blind men touching the elephant, and the one touches the leg, it's a tree, the one touches the trunk, it's a snake, the other one touches the tail, it's a rope. So you're only giving as the the clearest viewpoint you can give, right? It's all right to be a little bit nearsighted or short-sighted, not see the big picture, but he was correct. And if you actually look at his extensive interviews, he knew a lot more than those presentations would allow him to say. He was only giving you his personal experience of being shot, wounded, and everything. But he knew uh, base locations. He knew base designs. He knew, uh, you know, the budget, how that was all arranged for all these expeditions and stuff. And I think that is an extremely useful Member uh, part of Phil Schneider, but absolutely 100%, he was correct in describing the beginning of the 1976 Battle of El Duce, which is uh, where 30,000 human beings were liberated from caverns that were built basically under the El Duce Native American range, the mountain range, that Mesa range, and that Delta Force uh, cooperated with the military-industrial complex for the creation of these boring machines, these tunneling machines. Because to think, yes, we know they're in these tunnels. How do we get them? How do we insert? How do we actually succeed? Because if we just went down there and got killed, it wouldn't do anything for anybody, and this would be a massive sacrifice of extremely trained personnel. You strike one, and plus you would warn them, they would move the people, and you would have to start at ground zero. Right. Phil Schneider talked about, he, he knew more than what was going on. Why would Phil Schneider have a weapon? Why would he have a sidearm? Why would he be wearing the uh, hazard gear that he was? He was sent there as a scout, and yes, unfortunately found the the extraterrestrials, and, you know, and, and thus, you know, suffered the wound from the, from the frontal, you know, from the, being the man on point, the point man, which, you know, you're always going to get the point man's taken out. Everyone knows that. It's unfortunate that he was the point man, but I think he volunteered. I think he was a warrior. I think they erased that part of his mind 
but I think Phil Schneider was, and back then, uh, you know, a pretty badass dude. You saw the buzz cut, you know, he's a big fucking dude. I think he went in there charging with the peak, with the gun and, you know, maybe got himself ahead of the, the Delta Force, the Green Berets, who were right behind him. They were able to reach him, grab him, and throw him back into the elevator within a couple of seconds, moments, right? He gets shot with the, ble- with the beam. Before he even falls down, the guy grabs him and throws him back in the elevator. And he even right. says, that guy died. He saved, he saved my life, but he lost his life when he hit the button and he got sent up. I think Phil Schneider maybe, uh, you know, ran out there excited to make first contact and shoot, the, you know, to kill an be on the first on his block to kill an alien, which is absolutely the case, especially if you're dealing with this kind of excitement, this level of operation. People are very enthusiastic. People are very motivated, and it's not a matter of people being afraid. It's people wanting to go, but you can't bring them back. Like, the underground wars that are going on now, currently, since uh, 2016, there's been a massive resurgence in wars underground, in these in these subterranean caverns, and these tunnels, and these complexes, these bunkers, these cities, uh, under major urban environments like New York City or L.A., uh, D.C., for example, currently, but also in the Yosemite National Park, around uh, the wilderness of Canada, Alaska, all across the continental United States, right? Texas, Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, Houston, massive scenes of helicopters bringing in troops, uh, quote-unquote black helicopters, the black troops that were seen in L.A., for example. Very famous, uh, you know, civilians witnessing what's going on just around them all the time for the first time, right? You live in your, fa- your, your safe cities, you watch your TV, that's what you think the world is. You don't even see that there are... Special forces operations going on literally within city limits. And they pose as civilians, they dress in undercover gear, but they're extraditing people. They're, they're performing uh, extraordinary rendition. They're performing paramilitary operations off the books. You know, that no one is ever uh, aware of this because by its very nature, it's top secret. Top secret, it's, it's, it's literally top secret. They'll tell you that everything the Navy SEALs do is top secret. <laughs> You know, like, that's the thing. Like, everything they do, it's, as, a, as a definition, is top secret. But yet we think they advertise everything. That, and the reason why it is top secret is because it's highly illegal, regardless of what nation or constitution. We operate in countries we're not at war with. We operate within our own country, which is highly unconstitutional due to the, comi posi, uh, the posse comitatus and things like that. Yet when they operate, they just say it's a training mission. And you know what? That's what it is to everyone who's a, you know you know willing to accept the the frontline answer. But they've been operating, going underground, uh, finding adrenochrome labs, human trafficking centers, uh, cannibalistic human ranches, uh, basically uh, you know everything from ultra terrestrials operating rogue like reptilians, uh, the, the satanic coverns that have been operating since the Pilgrim days, uh, the the you know everything in between too. This is done by the military. This was not because they never could, but because it takes a massive amount of resources to do it. And to do it right, do it swiftly, because you don't get a second chance. And this has been going on systematically. And you see the evidence is there. Unexplained earthquakes, uh, the mobilization of military aircraft. uh, People who listen to scanners, for example, have been talking about lots of military chatter across the entire nationwide airwaves of shortwave radio, ultra-high band, uh, ultra-high frequency radio, UHF, 
which is the which is used by you know military mercenaries, uh, special forces, military operators as communication devices, as well as gunfire, cannon fire, artillery that's been recorded in like say residential neighborhoods in Michigan. Uh, New York City that no one can explain, but people try to explain as fireworks or whatever, but it's it, the evidence is clear as day that this is all going on right beneath our feet. I was going to ask you, uh, you brought it up and then you kind of got into it here, the underground explosions that have been heard, the uh, unexplained earthquakes and other phenomenon, these are the results, it appears to me, of, un of perhaps underground battles taking place. Uh, would you concur with that? Yes, that's exactly the point I was just making. Yeah, these are, these are the evidences that there are underground battles going on. For example, uh, in the city that I live in, there's a port, and the port had a photo op where it showed literally... Uh, as far as the eye could see in this parking lot staging area for loading onto ships, military vehicles, uh, you know, troop transports, ATVs, yeah. basically Humvees, all that good shit. And it was yeah. uh, considered, oh, a National Guard, they were, they were going to ship it out to somewhere. And the next day, the port was on fire. <laughs> there was a massive oil leak. And it was on fire and closed down. And you could see the smoke trail from where I lived, which is nearly 10 miles away. So this is not a coincidence that they literally will show you the military vehicle staging at an area. And the next day there'll be a natural disaster. Some kind of federal level emergency. And straight up, sometimes the refineries just explode. <laughs> straight up, sometimes things just blow up. And then people yeah. don't realize that buildings... Oh, yes, it, that, it, people don't even realize this. Like it, that, There are so many unidentified or unexplained explosions in America. <laughs> Earthquakes, for example, is. in Oklahoma. Oh, there's no fault line in Oklahoma. Oh, it's because of fracking. It's because of all this uh, development. No, these are deep underground military bases either being constructed or being demolished. And they're doing it by seismic atomic bombs. Because if you really look into things like the atomic weaponry program, you know what the most common use for atomic weapons was theorized to be, besides the strategic defense capabilities of them? Mining. Industrial yeah. mining. They thought they were just going to blow up mountainsides with atomic bombs, which they did, and they still do. They're subterranean weapons. Most of the testings were underground for a reason. And they learned that deep enough, the surface is not impacted by atomic explosions. Once you go past a kilometer, the surface will not feel it. They'll hear a boom, but nothing will change. It's not like the world vibrates or rattles or collapses. And they, they've been doing... Uh, that's the thing. When you feel like those big charges, when you feel the rumbling, the earthquakes, those are thermonuclear charges. Like in Yosemite in 2020, they killed two birds with one stone. Uh, because And this is all because of extraterrestrial intervention. This is all because of the knowledge of AIs that can plan and plot and strategize and make sure that these movements are like, you know, 4D chess. But they killed two birds with one stone in Yosemite. They destroyed a subterranean reptilian stronghold, basically a hive, and neutralized the super caldera, megavolcano. Basically, that was going to erupt in Yosemite and cause, you know, a massive nuclear winter-type effect, the ash out, right? That was going to basically destroy the continental United States and Canada. Well, they exploded a nuclear bomb underneath the super caldera, which also bordered around an underwater sea, 
which also was staged above this subterranean city. When you mix lava with water, you create just a massive reaction, right? All that boiling ocean, which cracked into the hive city, flooding it. And that was done by the U.S. Navy. And we're not talking about little. We're talking about a scale that they used nuclear submarines to sail literally under California and up into Yosemite using underground subterranean oceans. That's how, like, the, the world of the subterranean world is a geography people are not even aware of, so they don't even understand the, the, the logistics of these things or the scale of these things. But it's much more uh, area down below our surface sea level world than there is above. Way more. So, yes, when I'm saying they have to attack a city, yes, they have to use nuclear submarines. They have to get tens of thousands of men over there. They have to get tank divisions sometimes rolling down there. They can fly aircraft into some of these caverns, like helicopters. It's not just uh, people squeezing through tunnels. It's not subways. It's not little tight corridors that are pitch black. These things have weather. These things have an ecosystem. Sometimes you're walking around in a forest, and it's, it's actually you're in a cavern, yeah, is is, uh, is there some sort of an atmospheric situation going on above the surface of the of, of the planet that prevents these people from living up here, and that that's why they're underground? Uh, they they prefer, or say for example, reptilians prefer a high radiation environment. Okay, they do. I know that's absolutely the case. They do, and so they prefer a high heat environment. One of the things people always report when uh, speaking about reptilians that I can verify is that you cannot be in their ships. You would die of radiation poisoning. You cannot uh, uh, coexist with them, and thus they can't coexist with us. And that's a big part of why there's this antagonism is because, and why they are literally the personification in our mind of this demonic reality is because their world is like our hell. It's literally close to volcanic vents, close to natural gas vents, close to thermal, like, you know, they use the thermal uh, heat sources of the world. And that produces, a, like, a over 100 degrees Fahrenheit baseline for their natural default temperature, right? They're reptilians is the idea behind it. And, but they're, you know, they're extremely durable. They're extremely hardy. And they can exist in any environment, but they prefer that. And say, for example, there's reptilians that went to Antarctica, for example, and a big reason why they didn't really succeed when they came to Antarctica and they invaded 2001 is because it was so freezing cold that they literally they say, have a limit that's, be, that's more to the higher temperatures than ours, right? And so there's a reason for that. The reason for human beings to go down there, one, real estate. Free real estate, free temples, free bunkers, free natural caverns are these things. That is extremely valuable when you are about power, when you are about force, when you are about control. Uh, you are literally using the world like a mountain as a castle, and you are going to rule as a dark sorcerer or like you know warlock from a dungeon that people can't even they don't even know exists. But you can exit through all these various tunnels, and when you keep human slaves, it would be. Obviously, to your uh, destruction, if you kept them in the open where they were visible, because then people would see them, right, and pinpoint and target you. Keeping human beings underground, you can keep thousands and thousands of them underground, and they breed like you would confine rats. 
like you would confine other livestock. And you're doing it all literally sometimes underneath the feet of millions of innocent people that you can constantly go and refresh your supply from as well as exert your powerful control and uh, gain your basically surface level existence. You can have both worlds. And if this is not the case, imagine what's going on, say, for example, under Paris with the catacombs. You know, Ukraine has some of the largest subterranean catacomb networks and labyrinth systems. Thousands and thousands of kilometers. Do you think there's a coincidence that Russia is invading the Ukraine right now? No, it's a global war on these subterranean ruling families, these ruling occult forces, these ruling covens and uh, other, you know, sects and cults and groups that have merged themselves into this, like, hybrid military itself, this this type of uh, shadow society, a civilization built on absolute cruelty, absolute sadism, and absolute, uh, you know, uh, superiority or self-superiority based on the common person and they they can range uh, by origin as to where they really come from but most of them are the surviving members of deposed royal families that's interesting now the um, list well I would say like the list of wealthy families for example the wealthiest families in the world let me just show you this list and how long it truly is. I won't read out the names, but let me just show you through these images. People who are over, or worth over, a uh, billion dollars. Okay. Right? It's, all of these people have the money to do this. And if working together. Okay, see it. You see, all these names, Middle Eastern names, uh, of Islam, European names, Italian, all from different stocks, Habsburg stocks. It just keeps going alphabetically, right? And it just yep. keeps on going. And it, you see, all, it just keeps, there's hundreds and hundreds of these names. And they're all different families uh, that have been ruling since the beginning of Rome, since the beginning even before then, changing their name, constantly evolving like chameleons. Then there's groups that are run by governments, which would obviously be fronts for them, like uh, any international studies or affairs group, say like the Belarusian Institute for Strategic Studies, the Botswana Institute for Development Policy Analysis, the Brazilian Center for International Relations, the Cambodian Institute for Cooperation and Peace, the Cameroon Policy Analysis and Research Center, Centro de Analysis de Research de Estado Politicas Economicas et Social in Cameroon, the Canadian International Council, the Caribbean Policy Research Institute in Jamaica, Center for Policy Research Studies in Liberia. You see that they have absolutely infiltrated the world with their NGOs. And the reason why these exist is because they're not government-mandated or federally created at any level. They're NGOs created by billionaires, like Terramar was created by Ghislaine Maxwell in, in Epstein Island. You know what I'm saying? Like had its own like little reasonable you know, uh, government and shit like that. It's because these people have merged into what we call the government. And by now, 2022, there is no distinction between political parties, federal agencies like the FBI, or any of these NGOs, which run as, like, you know, Council of 300 UN proxies, you know, basically 
they own us. They own all aspects of law and order and society and infrastructure and development. Thus, they can always give the resources to these operations and cover them up. Nothing can really oppose them without being called traitorous or an enemy of the state or an extremist. And this is how they've the been operating. Can I ask you a question? What do you think about the, the tie into COVID? Do you think it's an, as I have speculated, uh, an, an, an operation designed to mix our DNA with alien DNA to make us more compatible with these other life forms? That is a good, uh, good assertion to it. That it's something to do with the colonization. I like that interpretation of it. That's very much like the X-Files would always allude to this idea that uh, the big pharma, big medicine was directly in line with the hybridization program with the future extraterrestrial colonists. I don't think it's about that necessarily, but I do think it's genetic editing. I do believe that there is something to that in principle uh, because of the requirements of evolution that we know are ahead of our schedule and it's all a part of this massive eugenics program uh, in some way right in some way it's all amount amount to eugenics it's all amount to what this big pharma truly is which is the rockefeller eugenics program which is the illuminati's vision of a superior human race right now regardless if it's the mixture of extraterrestrials or rfid nanobots that are going to create cyborg babies you know, right. in the future, without us even having to ask, they'll just have the the uh, zombies with a Morgellons disease because you can't do that in adults. So they try to infuse uh, in the flu shots, and they created Morgellons disease because in an adult, the the artificial cybernetics are actual wires; they're actual pieces of metal that form within the DNA, not subtly, but like you know, you're pulling strings out of your mouth that are basically unidentified fibers that are electrical sure. wires. And things like that, you know, like that's which there's been many experiments throughout the decades and many have been corrected and streamlined. Now, what exactly is that? I think cyber, I think technology, I think man is merging with machine. That's absolutely like it is in Solar Warden. That's absolutely what it is in the secret space program and the super soldier program. I myself theorize I have many computer chips in me. I have eyes. Uh, I can't really say I am on a side where I've, I've not already been inducted and put through all that systemization because I have. And I'm absolutely certain that the military has put computer chips in me through dental work, through uh, cranial surgeries, which occur through my labs, which I have absolutely, like real world, like, yeah, remember that time I had these nosebleeds and the military and they kept sending me to the same doctor. And it was, uh, you know, it was because there's obviously something that they implanted in my sinus cavity, right? And they kept doing x-rays to make sure that it was grafting on correctly. My body was rejecting it. Or pineal gland surgery, which is keyhole. They could have got into my pineal gland through my nasal cavity without any external cutting. It's called keyhole surgery. You know, that's how they remove brain tumors through your nose. Like, see, this kind of stuff is not science fiction, even though people would call it science fiction. People are transhumanist. People are cybernetic. The Navy has even officially admitted that every new recruit since 2019 has been given an RFID tracking chip. The future is now. The future is yeah. now. Like, everyone uh, has an image of cyborgs, but, yes, yeah, cyborgs are a thing, and, and people always relate it back to these different occult practices, and absolutely, absolutely it is. It's some kind of... Uh, holistic multi-spectrum ritual that's occurring forcing the evolution of humanity that is what's going on the old human 
is being phased out and the new man is being created generationally. It's not a battle. It's not a showdown. It's not Frankenstein where our children are going to destroy us. But it's like Ray Bradbury's A Childhood's End. When one day, extraterrestrials will appear undeniably and they will look at us and say, your children belong to us. We created them, not you. And we created you. There is no debate about this. There is no argument. And this is the natural right flow of our inevitable progress. And then that society will grow when we are dead because of our short lifespans. And this will just be phased out like every generation has been phased out. You know, at one point, everyone spoke Latin. And people said, no, there will never be a day when the common man doesn't speak Latin. Latin is the ruling language of the universe. And then those people are all dead. (laughs) And now their world is gone. Quote, unquote, gone. But never really, because the Roman families do exist. Like I said, they just changed their names. They evolved. The evolution is consistent. The only consistency is change. You know, and this is the way that it has always been called the Kali Yugas. And I always look at things not from a Western uh, fundamentalist, you know, evil, good battle, but an Eastern, Zen, Taoist, and Hindu, which has helped me make a lot more sense of this. These are the Yugas. These are the Kali Yugas. These are the, the cycles. It's all cyclic. It's all cyclical. It has no beginning. It has no end. The star people come. The star people leave. And that's, they were gone, and now they're coming back. The gods will walk on Earth again. And the CIA documents that are released use the same language. Because believe it or not, the people in control of the, our own shadow governments, the Rockefeller for CIA, for example, the company, read heavily into Eastern Vedic texts. You know, uh, Oppenheimer, I am become death. That's a Hindu text, the Bhagavad Gita. So what are our scientists doing reading the Bhagavad Gita? Because this is all a part of this grand planetary human spiritual ritual and experiment and up the top they don't make divisions they are completing a goal they see that as a goal as progress now this comes at a massive cost i didn't say that they're innocent i didn't say they're good now that evil in many ways can be debated as being naturally human and that comes down to a point of very existential philosophy are they trying to break free from their own evil which is inherent in all men but men don't have the power to be as evil as they are absolute power corrupts absolutely and that their goals will ultimately justify their ends or that it's a nihilistic sense where they know their goals will eventually make their methods and lifestyles irrelevant regardless of good or evil because they will be extinct and no one cares what dinosaurs did because they're all dead and that's the point. They know there's no heaven-hell system of punishment. They are already embracing the transhumanistic material world where their lives in the moment are made irrelevant because of their grand design and architecture, the, the universal architect, right? The grand design and forward momentum of progress, as well as keeping tradition. That puts the individual and the ego at a oddly negative space. So so are these forces that are evil because the world itself is evil? And that is absolutely appropriate to understand and to mourn and to see as real. Like uh, the Buddhist understanding of hell, for example. You know, like, it's just fucked up. I mean, there's no escape from it. There is just going to be 
pain and there is going to be mutilation and suffering in some kind of way weathering of the world as it destroys you on the lathe of heaven the Taoist sense of the world lathe of heaven right and that this physical body is that ritual um, so to say that they are evil yes they say they're sadistic yes um, to say that they're ignorant no they these people are some of the, the most well-versed spiritualists in the world and they do these things because they belong to things like the Black Lodge or the Moloch cult or um, the vampiric voodoo sects from the jungle cultures. And, and that's, not a, that's not a jibe at them. I mean, that's actually what they do. Like the voodoo and stuff like that is vampiric in nature. That's where we get our origins of vampires is through this uh, tropical, you know, the Aztecs, for example, ripping out hearts and stuff like that. There's a general blanket understanding of that still going on today. But they did that thinking that the sun needed that as nourishment to, you know, fulfill the world. And so, are humans evolving away from that due to this transhumanism? That could be a debate. But it should also be said that there are those human sacrifices still going on. Maybe to new gods, maybe to the same old gods. And that's the existential dilemma. Extraterrestrials are not going to change that until they change mankind. As they, people say, was well, mankind worth saving? No. Absolutely not. Are individuals worth saving? Sometimes. But mankind must reckon for what it is. And I don't think there's any argument in that. I think everybody in the 20th century kind of was like, what the fuck are we, is wrong with us? What are we doing? We're constantly trying to murder everyone and like you know, rob each other and fuck each other over and, and no one can be trusted. And there's this godlessness in society. The entire, you know, God is dead, you know, moment of philosophy. When has this ever been a controversial point to think that mankind needs to fix itself? By, by absolute, either by being washed away as a slate being cleaned, you know, like someday a rain is going to come. Because it's fundamentally already corrupted down to the base level, and the base level fundamentally corrupts up to the top. Wow. That's what I said. Extraterrestrials are a threat to human beings, but human beings are more of a threat to human beings. And when people say, well, the AI is going to take over and eradicate human beings like Skynet, like human beings haven't been trying to eradicate human beings? Like Stalin didn't exist? Like Mao Zedong was a machine? No, those are humans. That's mankind. That's the human soul at work. That's absolute power given to a man. And 80 million people are purged in a system through famine because of miscalculation and otherwise neglect. Because he has this grand vision of a thing called a nation and a thing called communism or a thing called whatever, China. What are these intangible things compared to the real-life loss, death of a human being or death of anything? And that's the whole kind of point of the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Is yes, I know about these things. Yes, I study them and I present them. But I always want to point that, yes, real people are living and dying in these systems. Being killed for the fulfillment of these systems. Sacrificing their existence and killing others for this system. Selling their souls to this system and being damned in it. As always, as all life is, as every day is. What do you think's going on in Antarctica right now? What 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 is is that is that the headquarters of these of this whole thing? Antarctica is a very interesting subject. It was invaded by the Orion Draco in two thousand one, and they activated a lot of the bunkers that we already knew were down there. 
and were previously discovered by like the Dark Fleet, etc. But because the Dark Fleet, you know, uh, has a very interesting history with the Earth and with you know the West, and uh, basically has gone rogue since the fifties, uh, we had to re. re- figure it out ourselves basically they didn't give us any information but we knew it was down there and we transferred a lot of the ownership to these bunkers but once the reptilians showed up they activated them and the last since 2020 or since 2001 we have been double time investigating and exploring antarctica to try to recover this technology as best we can now it's not safe it's not it's not 100 you just come and take candy from a baby but the amount of knowledge is actually what's slowing us down the most. Not the traps, not the giants in stasis, not the cryptids, the predators, not the cold, not the climate, because it's actually thawing out and warming up. Harp is actually thawing it out and warming it up so that it makes the, ex- the, the process a lot easier. Yes. Um, but it's, it's the sheer amount of information. We are having an entire continent to explore and colonize it took 400 years to colonize north america and yeah they didn't do it with electricity but it's still going to take probably a century before we figure out the extent of its geography alone it's not what it looks like on the map where they were just like here's antarctica it's a big circle no like the 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 actual complexities of exploration are going to take nearly a century even with satellites even with aircraft there are still parts of Alaska that are not surveyed. There are parts of Canada where no human beings ever walked. That's true. There, there are parts, parts of America of that are world that haven't been explored either. That's what I'm saying. So the idea of just not even including the extraterrestrial knowledge, the sheer amount of time and logistics of exploring and colonizing a continent. Like when the Spanish showed up to Mexico, I mean, that's all rewritten. The sheer amount of information that they had to process every step of the way. We really sell the Spanish short. They found a rainforest and were like, all right, start naming parrots. <laughs> like, okay, like, he's like, all right, let's start going up this river. Like, you know, and, and, and just mail, and like suits of armor and deadly natives. That's what we got to do in Antarctica, regardless if it's cold or not. It's the same thing. This step-by-step chronicling and mapping and cartography work and zoological expeditions and botanical expeditions. Everyone there has to be absolutely overloaded right now. And there is no amount of people you can actually put there to make the job easier because it's an infinitely complex task so having a million people down there will still make it you know only only slightly percentage wise less complex and as soon as we start colonizing you by 2050 by 2050 you will be able to buy a ticket to go colonize antarctica and live as a rancher or a homesteader or as a tradesman or as a professional lawyer dentist or whatever you have uh as your craft You'll be having to pass a credit check. You may have to go live for a company and work for a specific company. But people like Bill Gates, people like that are in the, the oligarch sphere of the Western world are already purchasing huge swaths of land. And companies from Chile and South America are putting in power generators to build the infrastructure for the first cities that would be the colonies like Jamestown, like, um, you know, 
your first settlements, your first little beachhead. It's a monumental moment, but the idea of colonization itself is extremely politically incorrect. So they will obviously use their Illuminati mind control to try to, you know, they have to do this over generations. Not this generation, but soon. As the idea of them having to sell it to people gets finalized. But once again, they only used uh, criminals to colonize America. They only used criminals to colonize Australia. Like, think about it. Like, they, they, colonists are generally the people that you are misfit and that you don't want in your society. They, they send the, the lowest dregs to do that. Debtors, prisoners. Yeah, people who are in debt, like in Georgia, was a debtor prison. Yeah. They moved, like your, your, your minorities, the Catholics, for example, in Protestant England, your other satanic covens, your other, you know, your, your heretical societies and stuff that form the bases of the American colonies. Yeah, like Rogue Island, Rhode Island, Rogue Island, pirates, basically criminals, uh, sociopaths, murderers, thieves. You know, organized criminals who belong to gangs and stuff that were considered outlaw. Yeah, it's how you clean your society. Up. And But now it's going to be a voluntary thing where you can't go unless you got a college degree and perfect health and a skilled profession. And if you are partially AI, probably too. Right? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. In fact, not even that. They might sell it as a type of respite or escape. Now that you mentioned that, by 2015, the... Pioneer spirit, the mountain man, the man who is most qualified to survive as a colonist, might be given a way out of our society, becoming ever technocratic and cyberpunk and dystopian by, hey, you want to be a natural man living off the grid? Move to Antarctica. Go live in the mountains in Antarctica. Go, go kill some um, you know, whales in Antarctica or seals or penguins or whatever as a rancher in Antarctica. Live the dream. Because that's well, how colonies like are a sold. Fantasy, a fantasy island type thing, you know, a vacation from. Oh yeah. Reality from where you are, or from the reality we're existing on here. It would literally be like a, a brand new start. It would be like how they advertise Alaska now. Hey, are you tired of living in a big city and the rat race? Come to Alaska and build a cabin. Because they still haven't populated Alaska. They bought it in the 1950s. We, we, there's only a million people there. And you can stretch Alaska from west coast to east coast across the North American map. So I'm not saying it's going to become shore-to-shore -shore cities overnight. I'm not saying Antarctica is going to become crowded. But like Alaska is, or like Siberia is, you know Russia will pay you. Russia will pay your entire cost of living, all your power bills, if you move to Siberia and start any kind of business, regardless of nationality. You have to live there for five years. But you can become Russian because Siberia is unexplored and unpopulated. Alaska will give you a thousand dollars to move there. Yeah, it's kind of uncharted territory. Years and years ago, during the Russian, uh, that that's where they sank you for the Russian front. That's Siberia. No, that, well, that's like yeah, people in Alaska are typically running from the law. <laughs> Let's be honest. If you're in Alaska in a fishery, you're you know. <laughs> Like, hey, maybe you wanted a second start. Actually, actually, my agent sent me to Alaska. I'm still kind of pissed about it. That was 30 years ago. <laughs> New beginnings, maybe forgiveness or pardon for maybe a past debt or a crime. And with today's society going, how many people are in debt? How many people owe hundreds of thousands of dollars to companies and banks? How many people have medical debt? 
it would be very attractive to a huge amount of members in society to be able to use a gun every day to fight for your survival or, or build a homestead or live off grid or do your own thing, be your own boss, as well as have that debt paid off if you go work at Bill Gates's super ranch in Antarctica. Yeah. And it would be like the cowboy days. Hey, come to Texas. No questions asked. We'll give you 50 bucks. <laughs> you come work on a ranch. You might die here within the first six weeks, but it's worth it. Like type thing if you don't. That's exactly what it was. You might get heat stroke and die. We're not asking where you came from or your name. Here's 50 bucks. <laughs> and back then, that was enough to buy a house. That's what I'm saying. Like that was in King Ranch days, you could own a good... Like, the, and Texas was unexplored. Texas is still mostly unexplored. These, these frontier areas are, are like Antarctica will be. In 2050, Antarctica will be available to colonize. You know, in the X-Files, um, in the movie, it actually started, they, they were talking about the black dude that walked the earth before, as a sentient being before the dinosaurs, and it's the uh, outbreak, the viral outbreak, starts in Texas. Yep, because Texas has a, uh, has a lot of subterranean tunnels, we have a lot of cave systems, and we are the super soldier program and secret space program capital of the United States. All of those programs run through... Texas installations, specifically through Houston or through San Antonio, with some being in Dallas as a research center. If you remember that same movie, the building that was blown up was not the Oklahoma City building, but the Dallas Federal Building. That was obviously a mention of the Oklahoma City. Why all the super soldiers were in Texas? I was like, that's weird. Why are they all? Why do they all like either matriculate to this? Because I had no idea why I'm even. Texas, but apparently... Exactly. You're, exactly. You, you know all about this, and uh, for everyone who doesn't at home, uh, for example, Max Spears and James Casbolt are both British individuals, British citizens, who served in the United States Army and were both stationed in Sam Houston, Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio at various times of their career, intersecting with each other, and ultimately working for the NSA and its offices out of San Antonio. The reach of Texas is international. Texas is a superpower. It is a global superpower. It is not a boondock backwoods area. In fact, we are we have the 15th largest economy in the world. We have 25 million people as citizens. And we have four out of the 10th largest cities in America. That's true. So Texas is, like, in terms of California, a global Illuminati headquarters. Texas is absolutely run by Freemasons and by members of the United States federal government. It is not an independent uh, nation. It has nothing to do with independence. It has nothing to do with standing on it. It's a Freemasonic cabal. And it's called a Levant a levant in the Freemasonic terminology. It is an absolute stronghold. And it is uh, completely controlled through their absolute monarchy that we call a governorship and our labyrinthian oversighting police, which operate with near impunity. So there's that factor. And the military is given carte blanche. We have things like tunnels all in our cities. Uh, historically, our cities are old world cities like Tartaria. 
the historical age of Texas is incredibly old, millions of years old. And one of the things people don't know about Texas is that it has artifacts recovered all the time, like the London Hammer, which is a tool, a hammer, that has ossified into stone and is rumored to be over 200 million years old. And that was found in London, Texas, which is 30 minutes outside of this town I'm in right now. There's Rockwall, Texas, which has evidence of a monolithic Rockwall city built of stones. Like Machu Picchu, like Puco Pico, whatever the hell uh, the, they're pushing now in the Inca world and all that. These are massive monolithic stones. And it's not newly discovered. People have known about this since literally the first citizens of that town. It's where they built the town, is on top of a city that they already found called Rockwall, Texas. It's where the, white, uh, the town... The, the town uh, the, where the mayor lives. You know, the, the town hall. Right. It, the rock wall is built right where the town hall is. This is absolutely connected to an ancient truth. Uh, one of my favorite sayings in Texas is, there's something going on, but no one knows what. There is a CERN-type uh, area that was built in the 90s in between Dallas and, and Houston. The technology in Texas is first world. Uh, Texas Instruments, uh, Dell, uh, the many different uh, video game industries, many different high-tech industries, uh, that more millionaires live in Plano than any other city outside of, like, Arkansas. And that was, you know, famously the Ozark region controlled by the, the Freemasons building underground New World Order bunkers than the Ozark Mountains with their, their largest mansion, for example, in America is in Arkansas. You know? Like, this is absolutely where they built this. This is the beginning of it, and it's a continuation of this Midwest Midwest power corridor. And it goes all the way up from Montana, all the way down from uh, Illinois, all the way down. And it's, it's just this massive Mississippi River Delta area that the Native Americans, that the first nations of this country had developed, and we live in the ruins of. And the Secret Space Program took full advantage of that. And yes, that includes recovered extraterrestrial craft or terrestrial craft with uh, UFO-type capabilities, the anti-gravity, the cloaking. Airships were recovered in Texas in the 1800s. Airships. They called them airships back in the 1800s. They were first seen flying around and crashing. The Marfa Lights is clear evidence of some kind of base operation that's happening in West Texas desert. Just because we're the cowboys and we live in kind of a small world, a mental mind, doesn't mean we didn't stumble onto pre-existing ruins of reptilian bases. We didn't stumble onto the ruins of a previous Golden Age civilization in terms of technology. Just because we wear cowboy hats doesn't mean we're not you know, controlled by wealthy individuals with international connections, such as British Petroleum, the massive amount of the UK that invests in Texas, as well as the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, for example, heavily investing in Texas next, to the point that it's basically... We're, we're, we, we are just absolutely fascinated by this. I want, can I ask you to come back again, please? Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. I definitely always love presenting and speaking uh, the truth. So yeah, definitely would love to be back on your program. Love to have, love to have you back on the program. It's been a, we kept you longer because there's just so much valuable information that you were talking about. I didn't, I didn't want to let you go. So I appreciate you uh, staying a little bit longer. And please come back. We'll have you. Penny will be in touch with you, and we'll get you back on real soon because there's a lot more to be 
discussed, especially I, want, I would like to get a little bit more into the secret space program with you the next time you come on. So No problem, yes. Yeah. Please come back. I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you very much. All right, text, text, beyond the top secret, and we'll definitely get him back. Fascinating information. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, 